I thought I'm going to start with a quote um, which summarizes Humboldt a little bit. Um, so this is what um, Ralph Waldo Emerson said about him in 1869. Humboldt was one of those wonders of the world, like Aristotle, like Julius Caesar, who appear from time to time as if to show us the possibility of the human mind. So one of the wonders of this world, yet over the past few years, whenever I told people that I'm writing a book about Humboldt, the most common reaction I got was a blank face, because very few people in the English-speaking world have heard his name. But his name lingers everywhere. Um, there's the Humboldt Current, which is the ocean current that hugs the west coast of um, South America, and then the Humboldt penguin over there. There are mountain ranges across the world. In fact, there are more places, um, animals and plants named after Humboldt than anyone else. So who was this man? Let's start with a few facts. He was born in 1769, same year as Napoleon. He was the second son of a wealthy Prussian family in Berlin. And when his parents died, he was left a very rich man. But he left his life of privilege, and he spent his entire fortune on a five-year exploration of Latin America. And it was a journey that made him, that shaped his life, and that shaped his thinking, but that also made him legendary across the world. He became the most celebrated scientist of his age. His contemporaries said that he was the most famous man after Napoleon. They also called him the Shakespeare of the sciences. He influenced thinkers, artists, poets, writers, and scientists. Thomas Jefferson, for example, called him one of the greatest ornaments of the age. Napoleon was jealous of him. Charles Darwin said he would have never boarded the Beagle without Humboldt and therefore not written The Origin of Species. Henry David Thoreau's Walden would have been a very different book without Humboldt. Simon Bolivar called him the discoverer of the new world. Even Captain Nemo, um, in, his, um, in Jules Verne's famous 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, owned all of Humboldt's books. He was, as one contemporary said, the greatest man since the deluge. Yet, today, he's almost forgotten in the English-speaking world. So why should we care about a man who is dead and almost forgotten? Well, clearly, I think there are lots of reasons why we should care. Otherwise, I would have not written this book. Um, so let me tell you a few of them. So one is that he came up with a concept of nature that still very much shapes our thinking today. He came up with this idea that nature is a web of life. He described Earth as a living organism where everything was connected from the tiniest fleck of moss to the tallest trees. He brought the arts and the sciences together. He said that we needed to use our feelings and our imagination to understand nature. He came up with a new literary genre when he combined poetic landscape descriptions with scientific observations, which is pretty much the blueprint of all nature writing today. He's also the forgotten father of environmentalism because he warned of the devastating environmental effects of monoculture, irrigation, and deforestation. And amazingly, he predicted harmful human-induced climate change in 1800. He saw nature as a global force. 
and he defined global climate and vegetation zones um, at a time when other scientists were looking still, very much looking through the narrow lens of classification. His name is not attached to a single discovery. So he didn't discover a planet, he didn't, didn't discover a universal law, but he came up with a worldview, a holistic worldview that still very much shapes our thinking today. So for me, the invention of nature was my attempt to find Humboldt and to restore him to his rightful place in the pantheon of science and nature. And the amazing thing about um, writing a book about an explorer is that you get to travel to pretty extraordinary places yourself. So for me, writing this book was very much a journey through landscapes and letters. I went, for example, to Quito, where I found Humboldt's Spanish passport, which he used to travel through Latin America. I paddled along the Orinoco in the rainforest in Venezuela, and I climbed Chimborazo, well, not all the way. I climbed up to 16,400 feet, and Humboldt went up to almost 20,000 feet. But let me tell you a little bit about his exploration. Um, because he was not a cerebral scholar at all. He was really pushing his body to his limits. He um, needed to be in nature, be it half-frozen and bleeding on the Chimborazo or racing through anthrax-infested Siberia. He left Europe with um, the French botanist Aimé Bonplan in 1799, and they spent five years in Latin America. And I'm going to have to skip some really exciting bits, so you will have to read the book um, to find out more. Um, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a flavor what kind of man he was. Well, he was very restless. He himself said that he felt as if he was chased by 10,000 pigs. He was obsessed with measurements. Um, he schlepped 42 scientific instruments, all wrapped individually in, um, or all packed individually in velvet-lined boxes across Latin America. But he was interested in more than just in empirical data. He said um, that he wanted to speak to our imagination and our spirit. He was brazenly adventurous. Uh, take his journey along the Orinoco and the surrounding um, river networks. He and Bonplan traveled 1,400 miles um, along the rivers, 75 grueling days deep in the rainforest, um, where very few white men had ever been. And it made for very dangerous um, traveling. They, um, they, their, their boat capsized, for example. They star almost starved to death. Uh, they suffered from high fevers. They encountered dangerous animals such as crocodiles, jaguars, snakes, and a lot of mosquitoes. But they also encountered the most magnificent web of life on this planet, the rainforest, the greatest ecosystem we have. And Humboldt was interested in everything. So, for example, he tasted the water of the different rivers like a wine connoisseur. He listened to the bellowing cries of the howler monkeys, which traveled for several miles through the rainforest at night. He found the Brazil nut and subsequently introduced it to Europe. But he also saw how humankind was destroying nature. And he did that in particular, noted that in particular at, um, in, at a region near Lake Valencia, which is in northern Venezuela, 
uh, it was a very wealthy um, agricultural reason, region, and he saw there how the trees had been felled to make way for cash crops, how then heavy rains had washed off the good topsoils. And seeing the destruction um, of the forest here, he was the first to explain the fundamental functions of the forest for the ecosystem and the climate. He talked about the tree's ability to store water. He talked about the tree's ability to enrich the atmosphere with moisture. He talked about their protection against soil erosion and the forest's cooling effect. At Lake Valencia, Humboldt talked for the first time about harmful human-induced climate change. It was all an ecological chain reaction. He said everything is interaction. So in Venezuela, for example, at the coast, he also um, saw how unchecked um, pearl fishing had completely destroyed the oyster stocks. He saw on the high plateau of Mexico City how the local irrigation system had left the valleys below completely barren. He um, noted how mines exploited the indigenous people and also the land. The Spanish, he said, had destroyed ancient civilizations, indigenous people, and stately forests. All problems, he said, were the result of imprudent activities of the Europeans. So they went from Venezuela um, up to Cuba, and then they went back to uh, South America uh, to the northern coast of what's today Colombia, and then they traveled all the way to uh, Lima, 2,500 miles, most of it through the Andes. And on their way, they climbed every reachable volcano. The more difficult it was, the more Humboldt seemed to have enjoyed himself. And I found this wonderful letter where he, um, he he writes a letter to his friend in, in Germany, and he describes in great detail all the dangers he's encountered with the jaguars and the snakes and the crocodiles. And then he ends the letter with this sentence. He says, and you, dearest, how is your monotonous life? <laughs> so he was a bit of a show-off. Um, he returned to Europe in uh, August 1804, and he settled in Paris and Berlin, um, and he very quickly became the center of scientific inquiry. And he was fueled by his thirst for knowledge and by many, many, many cups of coffee, which he called concentrated sunshine. He gave lectures, he experimented, and he wrote dozens of books, many of which became international bestsellers. And his most famous book was this. It was called Cosmos. And Cosmos was a book in which he took his reader on this unbelievable journey from Earth to outer space. Um, it was a journey which went, which, where he took them from the tiniest insect to the tallest, uh, to the highest peaks of volcano, from botany to landscape painting and to poetry. It was a book that was unlike any other book, where other scientists were crawling into their narrow disciplines. Humboldt was doing exactly the opposite. He wrote a book that connected everything, and it was a portrait of nature pulsating with life. He wrote in Cosmos, he described Earth as a natural whole animated and moved by inward forces. And with this, he really predated um, James Lovelock's Gaia theory, where he described Earth as a living organism. And amazingly, Humboldt had originally considered calling Cosmos Gaia. So I want to stop, I want to finish with a final look at Humboldt and just 
explain a little bit why I think he's still so important today. Um, he, he's given us our concept of nature, and his story really explains why we understand nature the way we do it. So today's environmentalists, um, ecologists, nature writers, many of them are still very much rooted in his vision of nature. Although many have never heard of him, he still is their founding father. And today, as scientists are trying to predict and understand the global consequences of climate change, Humboldt's interdisciplinary methods and his idea of nature as one of global patterns is very relevant um, still. Today, we tend to draw a sharp line between the arts and the sciences, between the objective and the subjective. But Humboldt's insight that we need to use our feelings and our imaginations to understand nature, I think is very, very relevant and important today. So, you know, call me naive, but when I look, for example, at the negotiation of the Paris Climate Summit, what I was really missing there was a sense of awe for nature. There are, you know, this kind of recognition that we're only going to protect what we love. So you have civil servants, diplomats, um, linguists thrashing out an agreement that is basically based on dry statistical projections, on very careful legal wording to keep almost 200 countries on board. But what I was missing was a passionate advocacy for our planet. And I think there is a, there's a reason why this photograph um, of Earthrise, which was taken at the, in uh, 1969 during the Apollo 8 mission, has been hailed as the beginning of the environmental movement because it's the first time that we saw Earth in her wholeness. This white and blue marble set against the vastness and the blackness of, universe, of the universe utterly beautiful, but unimaginably fragile. And it was a realization that was carried by a sense of wonder. And it's that sense of wonder that drove Humboldt. He wrote in um, more than 150 years ago, he wrote, or he warned, that the restless activity of large communities of men gradually despoiled the face of Earth. So to me, it feels like as if we have come full circle and maybe now, it's the time for us and for the environmental movement to claim him as our hero. Thank you. <laughs>